So, first things first, I want to reassure you after last week, I confessed to you that my phone was full, that I had 77,000 unread uh, email messages, and that I had no more room for any more pictures or anything else. I just wanted to set those of you at ease who were concerned for my well-being, uh, everything is okay. I did delete all of my unread messages, and now I only have 19,000 left, so big progress. Uh, and I freed up a ton of space on my phone by deleting all of my text messages that were older than a year. So I feel like that was a big step for me. It was really hard to press that button, but I did it. And so you can all rest easier and not worry about me and my, my phone space issues. We talked last week about the ways that we need to clear out things in our lives in order to make room for God as we're in the midst of this series on rebuilding. And so that was our focus last week. This week, we're going to take a different tack. We're going to talk about now that everything is cleared out, what is the foundation that everything lays on? What is it that we are grounded in? What is it that we are rooted in? And that's going to be our focus for today. Yesterday, I spent some time on the Christmas tree farm. Many of you know that my wife's family are Christmas tree farmers. And right now in the year, it is uh, the time of the year that we find ourselves in is planting season. And so this is what all of the workers are doing right now is working on planting these little seedlings. If you ever wondered how Christmas trees start out, uh, they start out even smaller than this, of course. Um, But this is what get planted into the field. Usually until uh, from when they start out as seedlings, they grow in a a greenhouse or or somewhere else um, until they're big enough. Let's see if I can get... My wife wrapped these really well. Great job. Um, Until they get big enough uh, to be planted in the field. And this is about how big they are when they are planted. And the interesting thing about this is you can see that the tree itself is from here to here. The roots are from here to here. And these roots are what make it, okay? Without a good, healthy root system, the tree doesn't have a chance. It doesn't, in fact, it doesn't even matter how good it looks up here because even without, without a good root system, it's never going to grow. It's never going to thrive. It's never going to become the beautiful tree that these trees are planted so that they may be harvested and brought home uh, into our homes to celebrate the joy of Christmas. But I just want to point out, look how long these roots are and how complicated and how, how many uh, opportunities for growth are in those roots. And we get into problems if these roots are not planted correctly. And you can see for this tree here, it's a, it might be a little bit more challenging because these roots have kind of grown into each other a little bit more. I think the main top root actually might have broken off. John, my father-in-law, if you're watching, I didn't break it, I promise. Um, And we'll get it back to you and we'll get it in the ground and see if it has a good chance of growing. But you can see that these roots have kind of tangled up a little bit and grown into each other. They call that being root bound. Uh, If they don't have enough space to grow and develop, that's that's kind of what happens. And even though these trees from here on up look similar um, in size, we can tell right away that this tree is the one that is going to grow faster and healthier and stronger. It's going to take a little bit more time uh, than this tree because of the root system that this one has. And these roots are amazing uh, how much they spread out, actually. You can tell just from this, uh, once they get in the ground, it's really important to put the roots down. I had a Beastie Boys song in my head. Shout out to you, Vern, this morning, Root Down. Uh, Anybody who remembers Ill Communication in the 1990s, that was a Beastie Boys song. I'm guessing maybe not a lot in this uh, crowd this morning uh, based on your reactions and blank stares. But 
How are we going to kick it? going to kick it root down when we put this thing in the ground uh, to make sure that these roots grow deep and strong and spread out. And in fact, they grow so wide um, that when you fertilize the trees a little bit later as they grow taller, you don't even need to put it, the fertilizer near the base. You can just put it in the rows because the trees will have spread out their roots so wide to an order, uh, in order to accommodate the tall and beautiful growth. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. What is it that we as Christians are rooted in? And how do we build on that foundation that is Jesus Christ? And so we're going to start in Scripture this morning from Colossians. I'm going to very carefully put this back in there. All right. We're going to start from the book of Colossians. And I'm going to be reading from, starting in verse uh, 15 of chapter 1. Hear this word. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. This is Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope Held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you've heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Continuing in chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So a little background on Colossae, the the town where Paul was sending this letter to. It was a a thriving town. It was an important city. It was located in what is now modern-day Turkey. And it was mostly Gentiles who lived there. And so they were just, they were really, they were new Christians. They were just hearing the good news for the first time, some of them. But they had been, they had been, uh, they had heard from uh, one of Paul's disciples earlier. And Paul had gotten word of it. Paul is actually writing this letter in Rome while he is in jail. But he had heard of all of the good things that were happening in the church in Colossae. And so he wrote this letter to them to encourage their faith. 
He writes from prison and he's writing to new Christians. He wants to make sure that they continue in the faith the way that they have started. And again, he's writing here to, again, mostly Gentiles. And they, so they, as such, they, they were people who were not familiar with Jewish traditions. Um, they were not familiar with the stories of God and God's faithfulness. But they were familiar with creation stories. And, and some of the creation stories that they were familiar with in their tradition and pagan traditions the creation was a lot different than the, the account that we read in Genesis. Creation in, in some of the ancient Greek uh, mythologies has to do with, uh, there, were, there were separate gods that were in charge of different aspects of creation. So there was a god of the sun, and there was a god of, of the earth, and there was a god of the rain, and, and so on and so forth. And the creation stories that existed told the story of these gods sometimes warring with each other for supremacy to see who would win out that creation was born and formed. And in this, this idea of creation, the idea of actual matter and, and, and earth, I can smell the roots on my fingers as I'm talking. The, the idea of earth and, and matter uh, as a created thing, it was something really to be avoided. In their understanding of religion, we were, we were spirits and we are meant to be freed from this material world. And that's how we realize the, the sort of height of religious experience. Now that's a very different story than the creation accounts that we read where, where God actually does get down in the dirt and, and, and God uses God's hands to form everything in creation, everything that exists and to, and to form human beings out of the dust of the ground and, and to get near the, the matter that, we, that makes us up and to breathe life into us. And so these people who are a part of the, the have, have grown up in Colossae would have a very different understanding of creation than a God like the one that Paul proclaims to them. And so that's why you see Paul spending a lot of time kind of emphasizing just what a unique thing Jesus Christ is and Christ's activity in the world. And in this section of scripture that I read verses uh, from Colossians 15, especially 15 through 20, is thought to be kind of an early creed of the church. It was an early affirmation of who Jesus is and of what Christians believed. In fact, it was thought to be used at baptisms. When folks were newly baptized, they would read from this section of Scripture. And the section existed even before Paul quoted it in Scripture. One of the earliest statements about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Now, I invite you to just listen to it again here as I step through and, and point out a couple things. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. What that means is Jesus, through Jesus, we have actually seen God. Through Jesus, we get a look at what God looks like. The image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. And what this is saying is it doesn't mean that Christ was, was born first. It means that uh, Christ is sort of in charge of all creation. That's another way of, of thinking of that. The firstborn over all creation. For him, in him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Can you hear how this white sound 
unique and interesting to somebody who thinks that different gods were warring and that's how the earth was created? Uh, No, Paul says Christ was present in the beginning, before the beginning, (laughs) before it even happened. We read from John's gospel, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God and not one thing that was made was made without the word, without Jesus. And, and so Paul's kind of establishing the, the supremacy of who Jesus Christ is. And he says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. And so again, just kind of refuting, just reminding them of the supremacy of who Jesus is in relation to maybe the gods that they were more familiar with. This is who Christ is. He's God of them all. God of the universe. God of the dirt. God of the rain. God of the clouds. God of the sky. God of everything. He's the one who formed all of that stuff. All of that matter. And he reigns supreme. And all things are held together in him. And not only that, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. And here's a verse that would have really, so again, this is reiterating the Easter story, right? Uh, Through Christ's birth, life, death, and especially resurrection, all things are made new. And that's what Paul is proclaiming here. The beginning and the firstborn from among the dead in everything he might have supremacy. And this is the line that would have really grabbed their attention as well. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. Again, for people who were thinking that matter and created stuff is something to be avoided, something to be escaped from, something to be separated from, because we are spirit beings, Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Our God became flesh for us. Our God, the God who created all things, was also human, also came down and became flesh, took on flesh, took on matter. And God was pleased to have all of God's fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in earth or heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So again, Paul is just explaining the supremacy of who Jesus Christ is. It's a creed that they would repeat to each other to remember that Christ, Jesus Christ, is Lord. And it was different from the traditions that they had been used to. God was doing a new thing in their midst. We keep reading um, into verse 23. He says this, All things have been reconciled through Christ's physical body through death uh, to present you holy in God's sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Do not move from the hope that you have in the gospel. Established and firm. These are metaphors for buildings. They're, they're, They're metaphors for strength and security. Uh, and they're associated with kind of thinking about building a house with strength and with, a, with security. And, and the verb establish here in the Old Testament uh, was often used describing God's founding activity in creation. So God established the heavens and the earth. Um, God establishes the city on Mount Zion, the holy city. In the New Testament, writers use this verb establish to talk about community as God's holy building. Community as the place where God 
dwells. Community as the house of God. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, for we are co-workers in God's service. And you are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Friends, that is where our foundation needs to be, is in Christ Jesus, the one who created the foundations of the earth. And that's what Paul is reminding the Colossians. Kind of reminded me as I was reading this story of uh, the story of Matthew, the story in Matthew where Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount. And he, he goes through and spends five or, or three chapters from chapter five, six, and seven preaching a sermon uh, about what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And he talks about loving our enemies and he talks about praying for those who persecute us. And he talks about the kingdom as being this place where everybody has enough and everyone is cared for. And then he wraps and he tells us not to judge and he, and he tells us uh, all kinds of other things. He tells us about true and false discipleship. And then the last thing that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is this story. It's the story of the wise and foolish builders. And this is from Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 24. So after Jesus has explained this whole sermon about what it means to live in the kingdom of God, and what it means that, that Jesus is ushering in this kingdom and to be God's people, he says this. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Friends, where have you laid your foundation? Where have you developed roots that will last and that will help you to withstand the times that will come, that have come, that are still coming, when the rains come down and the floods came and the floods come. How have you weathered the storms in this past year? How are you still weathering them now, maybe? What is your foundation? Is it uh, your family, your friends? People that you know in town, groups that you're a part of, is it, is it worship? Is it, is it coming here? Is it tuning in online, staying connected to our church? What was it that got you <laughs> to today through this past year plus? What does your foundation look like? Wow, if we learned anything in this past year, it's the importance of having a solid and firm Foundation, Because I think some of the things that some of us have, have trusted in to, to be there just have not been there over this past year, right? Or they've been there, but in a different way. I, nobody was in this building until a few weeks ago, right? We had to worship uh, online only. We had to think about work differently. We had to think about school differently. We had to readjust to new ways of being in the world. And I think it's caused us, it's given us the opportunity to reflect on what is it that, that makes us who we are? What is it that grounds us? What is it that comprises our foundation? What is it that helps us weather the storms? 
And Paul invites us today to consider that if it's anything other than Jesus, we're in trouble. (laughs) We're in trouble. I want to take a look at one of the ways that God's people have weathered storms throughout throughout the history of the church. I'm going to read from Lamentations. I don't read from Lamentations very often in here, but we're going to do that this morning. From Lamentations chapter 3. And just a little bit of background on this. A lot of people believe that Jeremiah is the prophet who, who wrote much of Lamentations. Lamentations was written at a time in the life of God's people where there had been, basically they found themselves in exile. Remember the story. They, they, were, uh, they were led out of slavery from Egypt and they were led into the promised land and things were good and they were given the Ten Commandments and told this is how, this is the best possible way to live. And they took those things and they followed them for a while and then, then, then not so much, right? And then all of a sudden they found themselves in exile and they were carted away. The leaders of, uh, of Judah were, were carted away. Some of them were killed. Their houses were burned. The palaces of, of the different kingdoms of, of Israel were burned and they were taken captive by the Babylonians. And, and Lamentations is a response to that captivity. It's, it's, it's the people of God looking around and going, how in the world did we end up here? Aren't we God's people? Aren't we part of God's faithful story in, in the world? And yet, how did we end up here? And listen to these words. Listen to how they felt. This is from Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse 13, talking about God. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He's filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He's broken my teeth with gravel. He's trampled me in the dust. I've been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I'll remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Now I know none of us has exactly been been carted away into a foreign land, but I, I know that sometimes this land has felt foreign in this past year and, and beyond that, hasn't it? Sometimes we look around and we go, how in the world did we get here? Where we can't even talk to one another, we can't even disagree civilly. Civilly, is that a word? With civility, how about that? We can't have conversations if we disagree. We tune people out. We, we, we're so quick uh, on social media to be able to just scroll past somebody that we disagree with that we haven't learned how to disagree face to face. And then, of course, we enter the pandemic and we're confined to our houses and we can't go out and we can't go to businesses. We can't go to work. We can't go to school. can't go to church. And sometimes I wonder if it feels like our hearts have been pierced. We've been filled with bitter herbs and given gall to drink. I, this is how the God's people felt. He has broken my teeth with gravel. Hmm. Ouch. I had an, I'm, I'm scheduled for an implant next week and I've got this empty space in my teeth, but can you I've broken my teeth with gravel? What must that feel like? That's how they were feeling, the desperation. I remember my affliction, the bitterness. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. But then, 
It continues like this in verse 21. Yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. As we just sang. I say to myself, and this is the word I think for us today. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Even though things around me, even though it feels like I'm chewing on gravel, even though I'm downcast, I will wait for God because the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I love that hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, that we sang earlier. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Can you imagine that that hymn was born out of these verses, out of the trials and tribulations of having seen your leaders carted away, having lost all of your freedom, having had to wonder, where is God in the midst of this? I thought we were God's people. I thought God loved us. I thought God cared for us. God saved us. Uh, God brought us to the promised land. Where is God in the midst of this? And yet they say, but my hope is in the Lord. God's mercies are new every morning. I love the line in that hymn, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Friends, that is the foundation that Paul is proclaiming to the church in Colossae. That is the foundation. That's, those are, that's where those roots are grounded. In Christ Jesus, the creator of heaven and earth and all things, visible and invisible, our hope is in that. That is a foundation that will not be moved. And our hope is certain and sure if we place it in Jesus. Colossians 6 and 7 says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Therefore, as you have received Christ, he's reminding the Colossians that they heard about Jesus Christ and not only received him, they received him from tradition. They received him passed along from the disciples who walked with Jesus. That's how they received Jesus. They received Jesus himself as Jesus encountered them in their lives, in their situations. And that's how we receive Jesus as well. The creator of all that is lives in our hearts and we receive him with knowledge from the tradition of the Christian faith, rooted in the faithful example of the saints, rooted in Christ Jesus, the foundation, the chief cornerstone. That's how we receive Jesus as Lord as well. And he says you received him as Lord. Receive him as Lord of all of your life. Know that he is trustworthy handle everything that is in our path. He is trustworthy to handle all of the questions and uncertainties and insecurities that we have. And Paul encourages them to be rooted and built up and strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. I want to give you a, an opportunity to grow <laughs> your roots today, uh, to expand on your, your, your fo the foundation that is Christ, to grow and, and, and deepen your roots in that foundation. Um, last week, I talked about the spiritual practice 
um, of, of fasting, how we empty ourselves to make room for, for more of what God might do within us. And I mentioned that we don't have to get rid of everything, right? We, we hold on to that which uh, reminds us of God's faithfulness. And so here's a practice that you can do to, to remember God's faithfulness. This comes from the tradition of Ignatius, who lived around 1500 or so, and he taught ways of, of praying and of experiencing God's presence. And so one of the exercises that he had is called the examine. And it's a very simple prayer. And I invite you into it now. Here's the way it works. At the end of the day or whenever you, whenever you want to, um, take some time and reflect on how you have noticed God's faithfulness in your life, where you have seen God's presence. And in the examine, it's meant to be done re- repeatedly. It's meant to be done every day or at the end of every week. And you can reflect forever, whatever period of time you want to into the past. So I just invite you now to do this with me. I invite you to close your eyes. And I want you to think about a time in this past, let's say in this past week. Think about a time in this past week where you experienced a sign of God's faithfulness. Where you experienced a sign of God's presence or a sense of God being with you. I invite you to remember that. And I invite you to make a mental note of what that felt like to realize that God is with you. Another way the examine works is you can think about times where you really needed to experience or wanted to experience God's presence, but for whatever reason did not. And so I invite you to think about that over this past week. What was a time when you were, were trying desperately to connect to God, but you felt like God, for whatever reason, was not there, or you were not able to connect with God? Now, friends, I invite you to continue this practice this week and beyond. It's a way of building and remembering God's faithfulness, of noticing God's presence in your life. It's a way of building and establishing and strengthening and expanding the rootedness of our faith in God's faithfulness. In those places that you remembered where you were asking for more of God's presence, bring those before God too. And ask God, where where are you in this? How can I find you here? That's how we grow our roots wide and deep. And I just want to share with you the way that I noticed that, the way that I answered those questions for myself. We are in the midst of, of preparing for revival coming in June. And it's going to be so much fun. We're going to have singing. We're going to have food. It's going to be outside under a tent. We're going to read from scripture. We're going to have preaching. We're going to have a time of fellowship and communion, just coming together and enjoying one another's company. It's going to be so much fun. But I can tell you, uh, we, we've been meeting as a staff and talking through this and planning it and thinking about and praying for revival in our hearts first as we lead all of us into that season of revival. And so we came and we met right here um, on Tuesday as a staff and we prayed. We spent uh, time in prayer reflecting on where God is present in our lives, where we feel like we need God more in our lives and what God might be up to in this season as we prepare for revival. And it was a powerful, powerful time of prayer together. And it's something that our staff is going to continue to do uh, in the weeks leading up to June 9th through the 11th. And I invite you to do the same, to set aside time to grow your roots, to set aside time to ask those questions 
like the examine and say, where, God, where have you been in this past day, in this past week, in this past month, in this past year? God, where do I need more of you? Where have I missed you in this past? I invite you into that practice with us so that we can all be open to what God might be doing in our midst. And I can tell you that was the spiritual highlight of my week was that Tuesday morning prayer with the staff right here. And I can tell you the time when I experienced the most need for God was in the days that followed. In the days that followed, after we met here and we said how excited we were about how God was moving and what God is doing in our midst and how we're preparing ourselves and dedicating ourselves to these prayer practices and these these spiritual practices of, of, of being near God and asking for God's discernment, after we declared that as a staff, those next few days were difficult. And not just for me. I talked to other staff members and I said, hey, how are you doing? Man, since Tuesday, it's been hard. Things come at you. Life comes at you. Friends, there is an enemy that does not want to see this revival be successful. There's an enemy that wants to cut down these roots to keep them bound together so that they don't grow and expand and, and, and grasp the greatness, the great faithfulness of God. There's an enemy that would work against all of that stuff. And in Jesus' name, we rebuke him this morning. Amen? Amen. But I'm telling you that because I want you to know as you enter into these prayer practices, as you enter into the practice of emptying ourselves and asking where God's at work, as you enter into prayer and saying, God, where have you been? How have I seen your faithfulness? How can I expect to see it in the future? As you commit yourself to that work, you will face obstacles. You will face trials. It might be health challenges. It might be relationship challenges. It might be money challenges. It might be something that comes out of the middle of nowhere. Ben Fitzgerald was supposed to be leading worship this morning and he's home because his family got hit with a flu bug today, right? This week, like that stuff, it just happens. And yeah, it might be coincidence, but it might not, right? There's an enemy that wants to speak against that growth, against that foundation, against uh, that, that movement of God's spirit in this place, And that is even more the reason why we need to be grounded and rooted in Christ Jesus. And the line that kept coming back to me as I was experiencing this this tension of, God, where where are you? And why is all this stuff coming at me? And why isn't the the sermon coming together? And why isn't the, the worship, like, what's going on here? As I was asking those questions, the line that kept coming back to me was, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The place where we lay our roots down, the foundation that we are built on is Jesus Christ, the risen Lord and Savior, the creator of all things, seen and unseen, visible and invisible, uh, the creator of everything. That's our foundation. And he, my friends, is greater than the one who is in the world that is trying to tear all that stuff down. And so I invite invite you again to join with our staff as we prepare our hearts for revival in June. Spend some time in the prayer of examine. Spend some time in spiritual practices uh, discerning God's movement among us. Spend some time in silence saying, God, where are you? And how can I join what you're up to? Because that's how we stay rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith that we were taught and overflowing in thankfulness for what God has done for what God is doing and for what God is about to do in our midst. Amen.